Welcome to Mortification of Spin, a casual conversation about things that count. With Carl Truman, Todd Pruitt, and Amy Bird. Mortification of Spin is a weekly podcast from the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. Let's join this week's conversation. Welcome to the Mortification of Spin. I'm your host, Carl Truman, Professor of Biblical and Religious Studies at Grove City College in Western Pennsylvania. And I'm here with my usual co-hosts, Amy Bird, the housewife theologian, not from Virginia, but from Maryland, I'm told. Mm-hmm. And Todd Pruitt, uh, as we talked to him before, a flat earthist, conspiracy theory man. Uh, and uh, what is it, PCA pastor in Harrisonburg, Virginia? I'm in Harrisonburg, Virginia, which is in the Shenandoah Valley, and Jeffrey Epstein did not kill himself. You're not far from the kingdom of God, my okay, son, I yeah. think. So. <laughs> well, it's great to be here, and today we have a special guest, uh, David White. Uh, David is a, a pastor and the author of a number of books, uh, perhaps uh, most famously, perhaps for many of our listeners, uh, the book Sexual Sanity for Men, Recreating Your Mind in a Crazy Culture. Uh, he's uh, He worked at Harvest USA for many years, and we've had uh, uh, people from Harvest on the program before. It's a great ministry that that works with people who have been sexually damaged and traumatized by the the promiscuous uh, culture in which we we now live uh, and david is the author of a new book uh, god you and sex a profound mystery which has just been published by new growth press uh, good to have you on the program david yes thank you for having me it's a pleasure if i could uh, kick off uh, to, you know Although it's often said the church needs to speak about sex more, there is a sense in which wherever you look these days, the church is talking about sex. It's it's one of the big dominant themes, and and rightly so. I mean, I was a pastor myself for six months. Uh, six, six months. W- six months. Well, six years, uh, and you know, sexual dysfunction played a significant role in in a number of the pastoral cases that I had to deal with as a pastor, and I think that's probably fairly typical of mm-hmm. uh, people in pastoral ministry today that they they're continually confronted with addiction to pornography uh, and and uh, the various evil things that spin off from that so there is a burgeoning literature out there on the issue of christianity sexuality sexual practices sexual mores and morality etc why did you write this book what unique combi- uh, contribution or special contribution or which gap in the the pastoral arsenal do you do you think that this book fills so there's there's obviously a lot of christian literature on sexuality and i've read a number of those books but really the central feature in my book that i think most of them were not saying enough about was what I included in the the subtitle of Profound Mystery from Ephesians 5.32, where Paul's been talking about husbands and wives, talking about their roles in marriage, and then concludes, this is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. And, And what I wanted Christians to realize is that behind their sexual desires is the heart of God. And that it is a it's a, a, a lens through which to see Jesus's heart for them in particular, uh, and lots of people were not talking about that. So, I know one major one major issue to deal with in counseling and pastoring 
um, and sexuality is, is what would you say to to many who think and young and old, um, you know what? I'm in love. Mm. Uh, I'm probably going to marry this person. It's fine to be in a sexual relationship. You know, marriage is just a piece of paper. We're going to get there anyway. Yeah. Uh, we've pretty much committed to one another uh, verbally already. So um, right. why can't I share myself with this person physically? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that, that's a great question, Amy. And it is a huge pastoral issue right now. Mm-hmm. With In our culture, marriage getting put off till later and later. People yeah. are prioritizing career and grad school and all those things so that people are marrying now. Lots of cases a decade later than they would right. have a couple generations ago. Uh, and during a season, which usually you would you would have sexual activity. And so I've, I've certainly heard those arguments. I sat with a millennial not too long ago who was really challenging me. Show me from scripture where it's, it's not OK to have sex before marriage. And this is why understanding the theological foundations for sexuality are so important. Uh, when when Paul points us back to this, this is about Christ and his church. What what God wants us to see with marriage is is our relationship with him, which is absolutely rooted in his covenantal promises. Mm -hmm. You know, all the blessings that flow to us are based on his promises. I love what it says in in Hebrews six, that that after he made these promises, because there was no one greater to swear by, he swore by himself so that by these two unchangeable things, we have this anchor. Uh, And so that that covenantal promises are absolutely essential to sexuality uh, in God's design. So if, you know, if there's people outside the church that, that may not be their perspective, obviously, and, and you need to help them get to, to understand why Christians view it that way. But I'm thinking particularly of people that would profess faith but say, oh, it doesn't matter. You know, it's just a piece of paper. Absolutely not. The blessings have got to flow from the promises. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and you go even, you know, you go to the the second chapter of, of Genesis and you have the creation of the woman out of the man. And, and what, is, what does our Heavenly Father do? He brings to the man this wonderful creation who is just like him, just like the man in all the necessary ways and just unlike him in all the necessary ways. And, and he brings them together. And it's this, it's kind of this proto marriage ceremony almost where, where yeah. you have the father bringing the bride uh, to, to the groom. And so it, it's, it's rooted in creation. It's, it's given a greater and deeper insight uh, as you say, uh, in, in Christ's relationship with the church, there is a, a very clear formality to that relationship going back to the very beginning. Yeah. And, and there's something beautiful and good in the waiting and, and even mm-hmm. suffering through the waiting. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and you talk about that a little bit in the book. I didn't know if you wanted to, um, That's a great to point. add to that. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, you just think of it as a bad thing to have right. to wait. Right. Sure. Yeah, and, and waiting on the Lord is such a significant, significant theme through Scripture. And I think you even see it hinted at in that, that Genesis 2 passage where, you know, God, God makes this declaration, it's not good that Adam's alone, but then he doesn't go right to Eve. He makes a bunch of animals. <laughs> you know, right. he's bringing all these animals before Adam uh, as if one of those was going to work. Yeah. And, and there's a building anticipation that then you see at the end of that passage, that's at last, bone of my yeah. bone, flesh of my flesh. Yeah, you, can, you can see the, the poetic rush of, mm-hmm. of emotion and joy when, when Eve is presented. So that absolutely, Amy, I mean, there is something really important about the waiting and trusting mm-hmm. him in that. Yeah, I love that that point. I'm glad you asked that question, Amy, because there is a beauty there. And, and having just been preaching through that passage of Scripture recently, 
there is this there's something about the waiting of Adam as as just as you pointed out David uh, he already understands that there's something lacking as he reviews all the animals he understands that he doesn't have that complementary partner and, uh, and and the very first words of poetry that we know of ever spoken come from the lips of Adam when he sees his bride uh, this at last is bone up that's the first example of, of, of Hebrew poetry we have of, of, of poetic words coming from uh, the mouth of man when, when he sees this one again there is not only the the, the voice of human longing and joy but also a, a formalizing uh, uh, and recognition of the relationship there's something formal going on there that has to be recognized but this topic sex before marriage you know I heard I, I remember I, I was taught a lot about that when I was in high school we were always being warned about that but but I, I can't remember ever receiving that instruction grounded doctrinally mm-hmm. certainly grounded ethically and that needs to be a part of it and upholding the goodness of desire yes mm-hmm. but but yeah exactly mm-hmm. but never never having it rooted in creation and in uh, the church the church's uh, relationship with Christ I was never taught about it that way and so I was never given the the theological tools if you like mm-hmm. uh, to, to think through that issue one thing I really like about your title um, God, it's like the, the big word on mm-hmm. top on the book yeah. here, you and sex. And right away, I think that that is already um, confronting not only those who aren't in a marriage yet mm-hmm. uh, and looking for marriage or in a relationship and they're not married and sexually tempted, uh, but also those who are same-sex attracted and have unmet desires in that way that and, and uh, depraved desires, mm-hmm. unordered desires. Um, but also, this is an issue in marriage too. Sex right. doesn't just mm-hmm. automatically become, you know, magical as it's promised a lot. What we call the purity culture, yeah. um, right. but that a lot of people encounter uh, problems in sexuality in marriage, mm-hmm. and um, I, you've counseled a lot of people in that way. And I just wonder. There seems to be such a view of separating our bodies and what we do with them from our faith. Yeah. Marriage doesn't just fix the problem. Mm-hmm. Well, now I get to have uh, legal sex with a person. Therefore, I'm not going to have these struggles anymore. Mm-hmm. That, that's, a, that's a fantasy. That's a lie. Yeah. 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 When I was working on this book, my, I was on sabbatical from Harvest and, and my old church gave me an empty office and, and the bulletin board over my, my computer monitor, I, I tacked up a note and wrote, you know, in really big letters, at the top, singles and same-sex attracted and people who have traumatic pasts and, and you know, survivors of abuse and people in unhappy marriages because I really wanted those, those people at the forefront of my mind as mm-hmm. I was writing, people for whom sexuality has been very complicated and yeah. painful, either because of unsatisfied desires or desires that the, the Bible forbids. Or, yeah, like uh, like you were saying, Amy, the purity culture invited, you know, hey, if you just wait for marriage, it's going to be awesome. Well, yeah. that's lots of people have learned that's not the case. Um, and and so how, you know, I wanted to, to write with those people particularly in mind uh, and being able to point them to Christ as the one who who understands those desires, understands unsatisfied desires and and also intends to satisfy them. What about, David, sort of changing tack slightly? What I might call the, the plausibility stroke, 
apologetic aspect of this. You know, we now live in, in a world where you know, in times past, sex was primarily an activity. Now sex is very, very uh, deeply rooted at the center of identity. You know, everywhere you go, sex is, is preached as being fundamental to who you are, which in practical terms means if you're not sexually active, you are less of a mm -hmm. person, less of a human being than those who are. Which means that any attempt to argue for celibacy or chastity, purity, however you want to characterize these things, is going to be profoundly implausible and countercultural. And, I mean, you've alluded to a millennial you were talking to. My, my limited experience of talking about these things with, with young people is, you know, a lot of young people, they, they want to take the Bible seriously. They, they want to be obedient. But they have tremendous difficulty in actually seeing what the mm -hmm. Bible says, not through any fault of their own in a sense, but because there is so much of the, the framework of plausibility or whatever you want to call it that they bring to bear on the Bible that's provided by this sex as identity, sex as authenticity culture, that it becomes almost impossible for them to actually see what the mm -hmm. Bible is teaching. Yeah, obviously the Holy Spirit always plays a role in convicting people of sin, convicting people of biblical ethics, biblical truth. But humanly speaking, what sort of strategies would you recommend to pastors, elders, parents, people in the church who are going to be talking to young people about these kind of things? Are there, are there strategies that you would say these are the things to try and other strategies you would say these are generally the things to avoid? Sure. I mean, the, the whole self-actualization that that you know younger generations have, have seized on is is hugely problematic i mean everything really is focused on the individual rather than a sense of corporate responsibility a sense of community uh, i think that's a significant factor in in pastors leading right now is is instilling a sense of community and responsibility to the to the larger body in fact one of the reasons why why Paul can encourage people in 1 Corinthians 7 that, that it's better, that his preference would be that they not marry, is because five chapters later, he's going he's gonna to talk about the body being inextricably linked together and, and everyone dependent on one another, you know, using, interestingly, one flesh language mm. to point to that cohesion that, that we really need each other. And so I think that's part of it is, is helping people realize it's not just about them, you know, with, with younger generations. Uh, I think also identifying a lot of the challenges that they're facing, um, helping them think through wise use of the internet. Uh, it was really important for me in, in putting this book together to, to address parents and a lot of the challenges yeah. parents are facing right now with technology. It's a huge, huge issue. Uh, a lot of the messages that they're, they're hearing from culture. Um, you know, I, I saw the, the culture shift over, I was with Harvest USA for almost 20 years. And when I first started there in 2000, I would go to youth groups and conservative churches and, and the kids, you know, unlike their parents, the kids knew people who identified as gay at school. You know, right. they had friends at school, but they, they knew the Bible said it was sin and they wanted to know how to, how to preach the gospel. When I was going to those youth groups two decades later, these kids were looking at me like, you're a bigot. Right. You know, I, yeah. I, so I just saw that transition <laughs> and a big factor I would say was was the importance of of these stories of people sharing their own personal story, mm -hmm. 
and my story, you know, quote, my truth, which which we hear all the time in culture is became what was really driving the day instead of uh, a focus on what what God has has revealed in his word and how he's called us to live. Yeah, I, I think all of us, are, are the, the story we would have to tell from our own lives tracks with that change in culture. When I graduated from high school in 1985, all of my non-Christian friends believed, for instance, that homosexuality was wrong. Every one of my non-Christian friends. It wasn't even a it wasn't even a thing you had to debate or, or be careful around. But by the time I graduated, right. I'm, a, I'm a little younger. You're than you a couple two. years younger. Yeah, it's flipped. It was different. Yeah, it's flipped. Mm-hmm. And uh, and you're right. I, I, you have now Christian young people raised in evangelical uh, churches who are punting the faith um, in any recognizable sense over this issue because they have a friend or an acquaintance who's gay and and love is love. You know, and and it's that that's a really easy story that the culture has to tell. It's very emotionally appealing. Um, it has an immediate emotional payoff, and it's easy. And what we have to say takes more time. It's a better story, but it takes a lot more time, and it's complex. Mm. Right. Attached to that, um, and you address this in the book. This is also for heterosexual sex and marriage, which I believe is more in the the framework that you're addressing it in the book is. Teaching that sex is a gift and serving the other person, not uh, just some kind of consumption for an end of pleasure for yourself. Mm -hmm. And I think in our society now, we look at it both with the homosexual Mm -hmm. thinking, but also within heterosexual marriage. There's a lot of Mm -hmm. marriage problems because they, too, do not understand sex very well. Mm. This is for me. And there's still, yeah, right. there's still this selfish kind of demanding oftentimes that goes along you with You go to 1 Corinthians 7 on that. Did you want to talk about that some? Yeah, yeah. That's uh, what I say in the book is that's the only how-to passage mm. that we've been given in Scripture. You mm. know, so lots of people, I think, have conflated metaphor from, from Song of Solomon to try to prescribe sexual behaviors or whatever. Um, but 1 Corinthians 7 is really the only one that God gives us to say, this is how you practice sexuality and marriage. And it's basically saying sex and Christian marriage is the same as the rest of, of the Christian life. You know, you think of, of Mark 10 when Jesus is teaching on discipleship and he says, the son of man didn't come to be served, but to serve and to lay down his life as a ransom for many. You know, the Christian sexual ethic is you lay down your life for your spouse. Your focus should be on them. You know, so it's not about being served. It's about serving the other person, thinking about their desires, their needs, uh, what it looks like to love that individual. And I think that's important because, you know, we tend, we can, we can try to read, the, read scripture for the message the other person's supposed to get, you know, and, and the text doesn't say to me, David, Jennifer's body belongs to you. It says, David, your body belongs to Jennifer. Mm-hmm. You know, th- that's the way that you need to see this. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it really does subvert, like you were saying a moment ago, Amy, that, that people make sex all about themselves, that, that the Bible completely turns it on its head and said, no, this is, this is a way I want you to learn the delight of serving someone else. Yeah. If you are both committed to serving, you're going to have a wonderful experience. And, you know, we, we, we were mentioning homosexuality just a minute ago, but, you know, I, I'm convinced that there's a direct link between the massive shift we've seen in professing Christians normalizing homosexuality and that what led up to that in many ways was the acceptance of uh, sex outside of marriage. 
uh, b- b- between uh, you know complementary gendered persons uh, because now you know we, obviously homosexuality gets a lot of attention and in part th- th- that that's appropriate because of how it's being forced upon the church but we've almost forgotten I think sometimes at how common how tragically common um, sex before marriage is among our own evangelical young people it's it's almost assumed now unfortunately in fact i've i've talked with some parents that seem to just you know if if their son is having sex with his girlfriend they're just relieved he's not homosexual almost oh wow right um and yeah. and, and they wouldn't come out and exactly put it that way but but there there ha- there's been a, a, a tremendous um uh, uh relaxation of the uh, of, of the expectation that you actually wait until you're married well, and that makes sex into recreation. Exactly, and which again the, the removes the yeah, r- yeah. removes the objection then really to homosexuality. Which, which touches mm-hmm. on, the, you know, I agree with Robert George at Princeton in his analysis of gay marriage, that the key move on gay marriage is actually no-fault divorce. Right. California 1970, Governor Ronald Reagan mm-hmm. signs into law uh, no-fault divorce and effectively makes marriage just a sentimental bond mm-hmm. for, for convenience. Yeah. And what premarital sex has done is made sex into a recreation for my own personal pleasure right. and maybe be the pleasure of my partner as well for as long as it's convenient and, mm-hmm. and, and happy for that uh, and that really does uncouple sex from its broader social and mm-hmm. cultural significance and that brings me to uh, you know, I think one of the answers I don't know what you think about this David as how we think of what it is to be a self or a person is very much a function of the community in which we find ourselves. We, we imbibe a lot of our values and thinkings from those around us. It's why strong local church communities are important mm. because yeah. it's easier to believe that sex before marriage is wrong if you're part of a strong community where everybody believes mm-hmm. that. Uh, and I think there's definitely a social aspect to, to, to what we believe in these things. And, and that's what makes it so Good important point. for the church to take its own teaching on sexuality yes. and sex seriously, which yeah. tragically most churches have not done. They've right. taken a casual view of divorce, a casual view of sex before marriage. Um, sometimes they've been stronger on homosexuality, but it's hard to argue that that's anything other than a kind of aesthetic reaction of distaste mm-hmm. to homosexual activity rather than arising out of a principled and uh, doctrinal, consistent attitude to the importance of sex. Yeah, yeah, yeah I, think, I think you're absolutely correct, Carl, that, that um, if we do not have strong, you know, a strong community of faith, as I was saying a moment, you know, a little while ago, um, we're not going to be supporting each other in living as God calls us to live as strangers and aliens. You know, his eschatological people that are here proclaiming the king until he comes, uh, living living in a very countercultural way. Um, and, and we need we need that constantly reinforced because you are. You know, if you're listening to the radio on the way to work and then having banter with your coworkers, you are hearing all kinds of uh, ungodly conclusions about life and what makes life worth living. Uh, you're hearing dozens of them before you even have lunch that day, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. and, and uh, if we don't have that reinforcement with one another. Uh, it's very easy to be, you know, knocked about on the waves as Ephesians mm. 4 warns. Yeah. Well, obviously, this is a, a discussion that... <laughs> needs to continue. And, and, and again, David, as, as I was reading your book, one of the thoughts that kept coming to me was how, in the midst of brand new challenges, how we can't neglect uh, going back to, you know, again, what was the, 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 the common theme in 
in my adolescence, which was, you know, just boyfriends and girlfriends not engaging in sex, you know, but, and, and having the doctrinal biblical foundation for that. We still have to be calling our young men and women uh, to purity for their good and for the glory of God. And, and uh, uh, we would commend uh, David White's uh, book to you. Uh, if you're a pastor, get this book. If you're a Sunday school teacher, if you're a parent, um, get this book. It is helpful. If you're, if you're a college student and, uh, or, or, or a high school senior and really want to be challenged and uh, uh, remain uh, chaste in this period of your life, uh, David White provides a positive biblical vision for that. And, uh, and you'll be encouraged by this wonderful book. Again, our guest has been uh, David White. David is uh, incidentally one of the pastors at Springton Lake uh, PCA uh, in Delaware County, uh, not far from where I used to live and, and minister. And there's some wonderful folks um, at that church. Uh, if you want to, uh, to get a copy of David's book, God, You, and Sex, A Profound Mystery, I bet you if you, if you swung by Springton Lake PCA sometime, uh, you might uh, get a chance to, to meet David and, and thank him for this wonderful book. And you can win a copy of this book if you go to our website, mortificationofspin.org, and you can register to win a copy of this very helpful book, God, You, and Sex, A Profound Mystery. And while you're there, uh, keep in mind that we are a listener-supported ministry of the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals, and you can make a donation if you'd like to uh, to see this kind of content continue. But David, thank you again so much for being with us today. Yeah, my pleasure. Thank you for having me. If I could make a quick plug, if Please you were do. purchase that book, yep. uh, if you would buy it from harvestusa.org, that Good. would be a, a great benefit to my, yes. my former ministry as all the proceeds would, would go to that organization. Thank okay. you for saying that, David. Yeah, please do that. Go to, go to Harvest USA's website if you're going to purchase this book online and get it through there. Again, as Carl mentioned earlier, Harvest USA is a, is a ministry we appreciate very much. They have been and continue. Uh, to do really wonderful work. So thank you for that uh, heads up, David. Well, to all of our listeners, thank you again for joining us, and we look forward to being with you next time. Another bride, another June, another sunny honeymoon, another season, another reason for making whoopee. Thanks for listening to Mortification of Spin, a podcast of the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. To read more on hard-hitting topics like this, visit the podcast page and blog at mortificationofspin.org, where we'll have links and other articles from Amy, Carl, and Todd. And while you're there, please subscribe and consider making a donation. And be sure to listen next time when Carl, Todd, and Amy talk about The church can do lots of good things, but that's the mission. Other brothers in the PCA would say, mm, no, it's broader than that. Um, and so, first of all, let, let's tackle that a little bit. Well, first. we're out of time now, actually. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for listening. <laughs> that interview is next time. Join us then. Yep. Go ahead. You guys both have your phones up to the microphones. This is pretty bad. I feel like I'm with fifth graders. Uh, 
you just insulted fifth grade. <laughs> <laughs> this is true. This is true. Okay. This reminds me of our very first interview um, on Housewife Theologian when I was remotely at my house and I'm talking to you before the interview started and I could totally tell that both of you had gone out to lunch and had a great little time joking around about interviewing a housewife in West Virginia. West Virginia. I mean, the the troglodyte cannibal. Nothing has changed. The roving bands of cannibalistic troglodytes. Yeah. Okay. Where's the respect? Far away. Far away. Come go on. for it. Go for I, it. I think kick us off, go Amy Bird. No, go for I it. think Carl should kick okay. us off. No, no, no. You okay. are I am I'll, not I'll kicking st- us okay. off. I'll start. I'll start. Okay.